You're listening to the Fringe Legal Podcast. This is the show for lawyers and law firm leaders. I'm your host, Ab. In each episode, I talk with technologists, key players, and experts to help you navigate the changing landscape that is the legal profession. If you're looking for strategies, learn about trending topics, and get updates from the experts, then this is the place for you. Let's get to it. Welcome to this episode of the Fringe Legal Podcast. I'm joined by Andrea Markstrom today and Meredith Lonner. Andrea is the CIO of Blank Rome. She's been there almost two years now. And previously she was at Fager Bakery for 13 years. Ish. <laughs> and Meredith is the administrator of Franklin Weinreb Ruddle Vassalo FWRB. We're going to say that just once today. That's it. <laughs> so they are a leading boutique firm. Both firms have a big presence in New York and they're joining me live today. So thank you first, both of you. And I suppose the best way we can get started with this today is if, Andrea, if you could get us started with how you got into legal. I know you have an interesting background and what your role is currently. So you're a CIO. What does that mean to you and the firm? Well, thank you for having me today. I appreciate it. I started my career the first 15 years working for Tiger Corporation. So had an interesting journey getting into the legal space. A mutual friend of mine, along with the individual who I went to go work for at Fager Baker Daniels, mm-hmm. set us up for an introduction. And after about two hours of meeting with him and learning more about the legal industry and the opportunity at Fager Baker Daniels, I decided it was a great move. So that's how I entered into legal. Wow. That's, yeah, that's quite an interesting story. So there's a few points I'll ask you in a second. But first, Meredith, what about you? What was your journey like? Thank you also for having me today. I graduated from college and thought I was going to be a lawyer, but I decided to work as a paralegal for a couple of years before I embarked upon law school. And that was a good move because after two years, actually it was probably after a year, I decided that I did not want to be a lawyer. Good choice. (laughs) (laughs) But I was very interested in the business of law. For some reason, it just fascinated me. I also, at that time, I was working as a paralegal and I was dating a computer programmer who used punch cards for programming. (laughs) So let's just say it was a long time ago, a few decades. And I would bring home massive amounts of paper and I would be organizing it chronologically. I'd be organizing it by person. And my boyfriend looked at me and he said, there's got to be a better way to do this. How about using a spreadsheet, Lotus123? How about using a database, Foxbase Pro? So he sort of brought me into technology. And this was at a time where law firms actually did not have PCs on the desktop. They had work standalone word processors with the 14-inch floppy disks. (laughs) And it was just when the 286s were coming Mm -hmm. out. And so I convinced my firm to purchase a compact 286 with a 10 megabyte hard disk and 256K RAM. And off I went with Lotus 123 and then eventually Fox, Fox Pro to start working on litigation support in the very beginnings. Wow. And from there, I grew into technology. They wanted to make the change from word processors to PCs, from standalone to network. Mm. And because I had just had this interest, I took that on. There wasn't, there, nobody there was in that position. There, right. It didn't exist in a law firm, really. <laughs> so there were word processing supervisors, but most of the tech was taken care of by outside vendors. 
you know, if one of your machines broke in can like a copier, like even today with the photocopiers, <laughs> the vendors come in. Right, and the Xeroxes so, of the world and so on, right, and the IBM, so. Yeah, so I've been with legal ever since. I, I've And I've only worked in three law firms over the three decades wow. plus. And you've been at your current firm for what, four uh, years? Five years. Five years. Five years. Okay. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So you both have very different stories, but I think there's a common question which is around, did you, when you had the interview or introduction by your mutual friend and you had this two-hour conversation and for you when you discovered the 286, the Compact 286 and so on, was there an aha moment as to, I can do something here, this, you know, that you saw maybe a future vision, if I can call it that, or was it just like, ah, okay, I'll give it a try. You know, what, what was the excitement level like for both of you? Yeah, from my experience... So working for Target Corporation, massive organization, born and raised in process. Yeah. And I spent some time both working for the stores organization, also the supply chain side mm-hmm. of the house. So had both sides of the world at Target. But still very process driven, right? Very yeah. much so. And also while at Target, while it's an, a large organization, you're still focused on, you're pretty siloed. Mm-hmm. And what I mean by that is one of the last roles that I had there was I managed and directed a highly technical team responsible for the entire back end for the distribution center network. Mm. But that included specifically the storage environment. So massive environment, but rather siloed from a technology standpoint. And so in speaking with this individual at Fagri, I learned, you know, there's an opportunity to expand my leadership expand my leadership opportunity for different areas within the support side of the house, moving beyond the traditional IT data center infrastructure, Mm -hmm. and also expand into working with our clients. And that is what really interested me as well. So working for retail, you have a much different client than working for a law firm. Were you still quite involved in the client side of things when you were at Target, or was it very much the internal stakeholders were your clients? That's exactly. It was all internal stakeholders. Mm -hmm. So my clients were specifically either the stores organization or the development team that worked on the supply chain side of the house. So one of the things that really interested me going and making that move into legal is that now, and Fagri at the time was a law firm of over 600 attorneys, mm-hmm. I have 600 clients right. that <laughs> I need to, to meet their needs. And so that in itself has a bit of yeah. a challenge, but it's really exciting as well. Wow. And what about you? What was your aha moment? Was it the compact to six or was it actually learning that? That, you know, then nobody else is doing it. So it was an accidental move. Right. So part of it was the excitement that I was one of the first that I knew of, you know, bringing this in and doing this. And that was very exciting for me. The other exciting piece of this was I didn't have to learn how to program. One of the things about computers that had always put me off was mm-hmm. I took a logic class, a programming logic class in college. And it was, I just guess I don't think logically. <laughs> I actually, I, I probably do, but I just can't put it down sure. <laughs> on paper. So to me, that was really exciting. I could take this tool. I could actually make it work. I could use it. I could make things more efficient, make things happen quicker. I looked at it as it applied to the whole law firm. So for me, it wasn't siloed at all. It was, there was this whole field of what can I do with technology? Right. I hear I've got this tool now. What can we do with it? So I think that's, that's it. And I've always looked at technology and how it can make the business of law run better, more mm. efficient, whatever. But there's there's some paradoxes with that. Sure. Because you speed things up, but yet they bill by time, you know, <laughs> how, how slow you can go. Yeah. And 
I was thinking about alternative billing structures way back then. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I didn't have the, the, the terminology wasn't there, but I'm like, okay, so how do we charge for this? And, and the firm was great in working with me and starting to think about those issues. And so it was, there was a lot of exciting things going on. Yeah, that's that's pretty cool. And I mean, that's something that drew me to the vendor side of things, I suppose, on legal tech was because, you know, I liked the law. I trained as a lawyer and it was like, actually, I much prefer to still have an influence on how the practice of law is done, but it should be done better, especially from my perspective, which may or may not be right. We'll see. (laughs) (laughs) So, you said, you know, when you when you were at your previous firm, you had a client base of 600 fianas. How big is your firm now? How many, how many clients do you have now? So we have over 700 attorneys okay. now. And yeah. for about yet? We have Where's 16 it? attorneys. 16, okay. Yeah, so there's obviously going yeah. to be very different approaches, right? Actually, yeah, would, would you mind just sort of telling me from, because I, I actually don't know, right? What is it like having to listen to 700 people or 16 people? I can see the advantages and disadvantages to both sides, <laughs> and I'm sure they are. So as neutrally as you might be able to put it, what, what's that like? What's the process like? How do you decide? How do you listen to them all? I will say, I mean, the way that I do it is I just get out and talk with people. I walk the floor and that is the best way for me to listen or to listen. But also, I mean, the best way for me to learn about really how my organization is doing. You know, I can ask the director of our support area about our help desk calls and our tickets. But that that only gives me one one snapshot Mm -hmm. of how my organization is servicing our firm. So it's really getting out and speaking with people and talking with people and at all levels and each different practice area has their nuances mm-hmm. and their culture each office has their you know different culture and it's really learning what's important to them right so you know 700 different people they all count yeah. their opinion <laughs> is sure. important and as much as we can we try to standardize so we can support them as best as as best as possible yeah. but knowing that each individual also has their their own specific way of practicing. So our challenge is to make sure we're selecting tools and providing the services that not only fit standards and, you know, a standard way of operating, but also a way that we can also meet those individual needs. Mm. So, and the way for me that we can do that is just really getting in, understanding how they work and what's important to them. Okay. So, and how, how is that for you with the 16? Does that mean that you're able to personally speak to all 16, which I imagine I, is probably quite difficult for you, Andrea? I, <laughs> yes, on a daily basis, I get yeah. to speak to all 16. <laughs> and I mean, I suppose, and is there also, as you, as you think about that, is there also a big difference? So, you know, Andrea's firm will have many practice areas and you guys are, you know, you still have sub-practice areas, but you're still an entertainment law yes. firm. So does that make a difference as well? It makes it easier on me. Okay. <laughs> I, I would be, if there were five different practices at my 16 attorney firm, it would be a different, it would be a different ballgame. Right. I think, I think I'd need more personnel also mm-hmm. and, and it would have to be supported differently. So having just one overall practice entertainment makes it a lot easier. The other thing that makes it easier to be the only management position in that firm the, the only management position. I am the only management position in the right. firm. So actually, go back to my original question that I sort of alluded to before we started recording. What, what's the difference between an administrator 
an IT director and a CIO? And there's many questions there. I'm sure many streams, but what does your role mean? So I, I can compare it on a mid-level firm size sure. because my previous firm, actually my first firm, we mm. grew from 12 attorneys to 60 attorneys mm. and two offices. And that's really where I cut my teeth with technology. There was, I was an administrator there. I came in as a paralegal. I then took a role as a paralegal manager. And then I took a role as an IT manager, as the IT manager. And so there were, there were more, there were more management positions in that firm as they grew. As an IT, you know, I, I was focused strictly on IT in those positions. Your plate is always full no matter what you do. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's Mm -hmm. very sure. Whether you just do IT or whether you, you know, do what I do in a small firm, it's, we're always busy. But in my current position, in addition to overseeing IT, I also oversee finance, I oversee HR, I oversee benefits, I oversee facilities. many, many different hats throughout the day. Yes. 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 And I look to outside help for IT support. So we have a relationship with the managed services company. Actually, it's a systems integrator that does managed services. Mm -hmm. So they help us also with our upgrades and any tier two or tier three troubleshooting, which I probably could do, but don't have the time to do. Mm -hmm. Right. You've got to prioritize your time. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And that's why you were so involved in your recent office move and everything else as well. Yes. So is that different to when you were at a 60 lawyer firm? And if so, because, you know, the, the titles are the same, how is the role different? And, you know, having a fifth of the short, smaller firm, I suppose. Well, the, the type really isn't the same. An administrator <laughs> is the equivalent of like a COO. Right. So a small firm, an administrator, large firm, a COO. Sure. So in that way, it's it's that's where that goes. As an IT director at a middle-sized firm, it would be equivalent to what a CIO is at a large firm. Okay. So I oversee operations currently, mm-hmm. all of the operations, operations. all of the business, <laughs> all the, the entire business side of the firm. Okay. Which, yeah, and that makes a lot of sense, which is why you want to outsource certain parts so you can actually yeah. focus on the business and make, yeah. you make sure it's... Well, it focus on everything. Yeah. You know, try to keep it running. People and... get paid and all this sort of stuff. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And then from Andrea, so as a CIO, so that's chief information officer, right? So not Correct. innovation. Do you guys at the firm do something... Is there a separate role for innovation at the firm or is it all sort of folded into you? What's the structure like? Yeah, so great question. In fact, we just hired recently a chief innovation and value officer. And value. Fo- yeah, okay. and focused on pricing and legal project management. And then more recently, in fact, just within the last couple of months, we, both her and I, collectively are working on building out what does innovation mean at our firm. Mm -hmm. So she'll have innovation in terms of what does that mean from a pricing standpoint, from how do we drive revenue and client business, going to be innovative in what we the services we provide our clients. Mm-hmm. And then on my side of the house is what are the tools, the processes, and the people that that we need to innovate not only within, but also for our clients. So innovation at our firm, it's, it's a very close partnership between right. myself and now our new chief innovation and value officer, as well as our chief marketing officer. Okay. So I look at the three of us really as it's a business, a new business for us to grow Mm. And it's all about driving revenue and driving the value-added services that now our clients are asking us for. And so, well, two questions at the back of that. One is, what's the, is the role of the value part of that title around the value that you provide to your clients? 
right? Or is it something more internal, integral? And the second is, what was the, if it's this, it sounds like this is a new role, which is great, congratulations to, mm-hmm. to your new hire. What, what was the reason for the firm investing into that role, mm-hmm. right? What was the reason that you guys looked into that? Yeah, so as far as the value, it's both internal and external. I mean, we need to remain and stay competitive. And in order to do so, we need to take a step back and take a look at everything we're doing internally, as well as what we provide externally. So that gets to the types of processes and looking at workflows and how can we become more efficient and more effective internally. And then also the services that we provide our our clients, Mm -hmm. making sure that we're providing those at the best cost and most effective really the most effective manner for us internally so we can continue to drive our revenue, but then also for our clients so it's at the price that they're looking for. Right. And that's where the marketing person comes in as well, right? Yeah. So, cool. Yeah. And then to your point, you know, our your other question as far as what within our firm drove that, we are extremely committed to innovation at our firm, not only from our funding, but also from the leadership down. Sure. And, and I've been and to the blockchain and other meetings that you right, guys have so. Right, <laughs> right. But I'll tell you, it, it has changed my role. So I've had to move from that traditional CIO to more of getting out and speaking with clients and understanding the business and that is a very exciting position to be in so and as as both of you are so you've been doing this for a little while (laughs) and as you both in a relatively newish positions right in your current tenures what kind of things have you noticed over the last let's say two years right to capture your full sort of CIO tenure at this firm what kind of things have you seen that's been different to what's happened in the past and to get you thinking it could be that the lawyers are more coming to you asking for things or the vendors are changing how to deliver services to you whether it's from a managed service point of view or from just a technology point of view or the marketplace changing it you mentioned competition staying competitive obviously that's been something that's been around forever but is that something that's changed right what's your impact yeah i mean there are different players in the market i mean you've got the big four that Mm. we continually hear about but then also you've got i mean we've got the competition of in-house legal legal tech startups yeah online legal yeah i mean there's there's a number of different entities that now are 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 competitors where in the past they they historically have not been okay and how, how are you reacting to that what's been the attitude of both from your perspective and others you know in in sort of leadership positions at other firms that you might speak to go ahead because our client base is different but we deal mostly with talent mm-hmm. so not the big corporations right. so, so you're dealing, dealing with, with individuals or yes so on, right? yeah or groups of producers sure. or so i love them it's a great client base they're not as process demanding Mm -hmm. as corporations are. Okay. They're, 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 you know, it's always me who's telling my lawyers, you may please tell them not to put their new play on Dropbox. Please, you know, (laughs) I have some secure ways to get that information to us. So for us, it's been almost educating the clients Mm -hmm. sometimes Mm -hmm. in terms of technology. Right. So that's been interesting. uh, And I'm sure it's different, you know. Yeah. I mean, actually, I would think that it's probably the same even with corporations because you imagine the corporations would be more process oriented. But I think they probably encounter this. I mean, that's something I hear all the time. And, you know, I work, I mean, I'm working with a lawyer to sort out various things. And it's the same thing, right? When they're requesting documents from me, 
they are asking me for a Dropbox thing. And I was like, I'm not sending you that. Yeah. Right? There's better, more Constant secure education ways process, yeah. internally and externally. Even with the big corporate clients? Oh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's amazing to <laughs> Because I found so many of our technology changes have been driven by the corporate side of the mm-hmm. world. For instance, the word perfect to work. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That was the lawyer, the law firms would have loved to still be using work sure. today. Some are still. Yeah. I, I, I'm always surprised when I come across one, but yes. And we were pushed into Microsoft. And I think that, so you do get that. You get that push from the corporate world. So sure. it's interesting when I find that you're telling me you're educating your corporate clients. Yeah, and I mean, it definitely the direction that we've moved in terms of not only process, but I'll say security. Mm-hmm. Security has been, you know, a big push from our clients in terms of are we certified, for example, are we ISO certified in yeah. any RFP or piece of business that we go for? Those are some mm-hmm. of the questions that we get asked. So that's that definitely drove that process for us. But even still, we'll still get the random questions from some clients, some large clients about yeah. be it a Dropbox or, and, you know. Okay. Interesting. Yeah, and I mean that, that's been my experience, so that doesn't surprise me. It's quite interesting to be refreshing in some ways to see that you both have the same problems. Um, <laughs> how, how does that differ? So you guys have international offices as well, right? We do. We have For, an office in Shanghai. Okay, and you're just New York. Just New York. Yeah. Okay. So how does being in Shanghai have an impact on all of this? Does it completely blow everything up, or does it not really have an impact because you try and keep everyone? to the same standard, which is what you were talking about earlier. You need to be mindful of the regulations. And also, and I'll just say again, from a security standpoint, it's a different way of operating, traveling over to China, the technology that you have in China, what you save. Mm -hmm. So... As, as I would love to have a standard process and way of operating across mm-hmm. the firm, we do need to be mindful of that. So Okay. And one of the, if I can go back to one of the things you both said in, in different ways was around when you're looking at technology, right? One of the things you mentioned, Meredith, you know, what can I do with the technology that we have? So how, how do you think about technology when you're either looking to select something or whether you have something or you have something that's sort of on the horizon, right? That's gaining more and more interest or traction, whether it's buzzwords like AI or blockchain or something more practical, which can be a subset of those technologies. How are you filtering those kinds of demands and noise out to something meaningful so you can educate people or think about it? It's a very long-winded question. (laughs) Well, I think one of the things that I do in the small environment is that I think about whether or not it's even worth bringing this up with my attorneys. Like, does it have an application in our firm? Does it not have an application? And we are a small firm that's using a pretty powerful document management system. And we have, as part of my most recent office move, we moved from the paper file as the file of record to the electronic file as the file of record. And that included getting rid of over a thousand square feet of file room, you know, (laughs) compressed, uh, compacted file room kind of stuff. And so that was a big project, but we had the technology in place. And I I was telling Andrea, I was thinking about it for like three and a half years. (laughs) And finally the move gave me 
the, the impetus excuse. and the excuse. Yeah. Yeah. And oh my gosh, you know, saving on that real estate is pretty impactful. Sure. That's great. Congratulations. So, yeah. <laughs> That's a great move. Yeah. We're thinking about so, that, but I don't know yeah. that we'll ever get yeah. <laughs> It's harder. So you were talking about agility and mm-hmm. being able to make moves. That was definitely, and from what I've heard and from the people I've spoken to, that's an easier move for a small firm to make. Going yeah. to the electronic files of file record. And the firms that I've spoken to that have been successful, almost all of them are medium or small. I know of one large firm in Philadelphia that's done it. Wow. Okay. What about you? From How do you think about innovation, technology, what to bring in? So very similar approach. I mean, the, the first question is, do we have a practical application for it here? Is it going to be used? Where is how do you, it going to be used? How do you gauge that? Because I can see how you might be able to more easily, not to say it's going to be easy, more easily gauge that with a... Yeah. You know, with 16 people or so. How do you engage that? So we've got a technology committee. So mm-hmm. we engage them. We also engage practice group leaders. And, you know, what historically what we've done in the past, I'll say from an IT standpoint, is if we find the nice shiny object and we put it in, it's not going to get used. Right. So our approach is we'll, we'll share the information, we'll educate our, you know, our lawyers. And really, I look to them as my stakeholder to say, will you use it? I mean, right. this is, an, you know, a pretty hefty expense. Sure. So I need your buy-in. I mm. need you to be to be a champion and go out there and sell it for me mm. and sell it within your practice area. And that's the only way that it will ever get used yeah. and it makes sense to, to apply. And do you think that requires a some amount of foresight which you may have as someone yeah. who's engrossed in the industry right because I would imagine not necessarily compared to everyone but relatively speaking that you you both will know a lot more about up and coming technologies and vendors and competitors and so on compared to the lawyers right because they shouldn't really be focusing on that on a day-to-day basis so do you find that that's potentially an obstacle where you have to educate them potentially on this or do they go out their way to research things as well no. well i shouldn't say i mean i there are some attorneys that will bring tools to me or say hey you know they i I heard about this tool at this other firm or from a client and it sounds interesting. And I always appreciate that because they're my champion right there. But I will say the method that has worked the best is when I've gone out and talked with them to understand what either the challenges that they're up against or what challenges their clients are up against, then I'll remember that. And if I'm coming across a tool that might fit you know, that or solve that business problem or that challenge, I'll then reach out to them. So that's one approach that's worked very well. The other is, especially with AI, I mean, there's a lot of talk about that and whether or not that's appropriate within certain practice areas or not, I'll I'll bring together a number of different people from different practice areas mm-hmm. and in together in one room and they're interested in seeing a demo. Right. And then we'll we'll talk about it after. I mean, is this something that we would use at our firm? Okay. So it, it does take a bit of not only buy-in, but it does take an investment of their time. Yeah. And it will not work if they're not if they have no appetite. That's almost for that. kind of like a litmus test, right? If they're yeah. not even willing to, not necessarily always, but if you're considering to push someone and they can't even donate half an hour of their time. Right. right. 
And from your perspective then, you know, with the 16, they're kind of like a tech committee or no? <laughs> there, well, there is it. No, no, I do have a tech committee. Okay, so Perfect. I have a couple of partners and associate yeah. and we occasionally bring in a staff member mm-hmm. as needed depending on projects. So that's great. They're a great sounding board and we probably meet six times a year, wow. uh, depending on what's going on. Sure. But, but the other thing I found is for us, not so much AI because we don't litigate, but the blockchain stuff because of the entertainment industry and mm-hmm. the applications mm-hmm. Potentially has there or is starting to have there is actually a really hot topic. And I have actually brought to their attention, I'll come across an article that's interesting, and I, you know, I'll send it out to a couple of the attorneys and they'll read it. And there's been a back and forth, and there are a couple of attorneys that have decided they want to learn more about blockchain. They're not gonna learn it from me, but they're (laughs) they're gonna, you know, they're gonna make an effort because they see the applications for their clients and how it's going to impact their clients and they better understand. No, that's really interesting. And I know you have some blockchain partners. Is that right? Mm, we yeah. do. We've got yeah. a whole practice area. Well, that's amazing. So is yeah, that... I think that's cool. I yeah. Because I, I learned about it. Camera, where it was one of the meetups in New York that you guys hosted. Right. And I think right. one of your partners spoke and talked a little bit about it. Yeah. And I think that it's not the first time I've heard about a blockchain lawyer but i think certainly the first time i've come across a blockchain practice area mm-hmm. so how did that come across and we don't have to talk too much about it, i'm just curious but did that come across as a demand from clients or because you had interested lawyers who could see the potential of technology and wanted to sort of i think it's the latter okay. uh, and i mean it's grown tremendously mm-hmm. and i'll say that practice area is very busy <laughs> not only educating but really i mean it's a great a great revenue business awesome that's mm-hmm. amazing yeah okay so i'm going to try and segment two things i want to talk about one is you mentioned legal practice management i've been hearing a lot about it what's the, what do you is that something that you see as becoming and i kind of understand it that's my next thing to interview someone who does lpm but do you think that's a that's a role of a legal practice manager that's becoming more and more common because firms are becoming more process driven mm-hmm. is that from your perspective either of you I know you came from a process and process design background so mm-hmm. yes I'm very much in favor <laughs> of project management yeah. so we have there's really two different areas so mm-hmm. legal project management is one legal practice management and generally the LPM yeah. the legal project managers report up through that okay. practice management area and yes there is a definite role we've now have an area that is that we've got several members mm-hmm that are LPMs. And it is working from working not only internally with our practice areas, but also our clients from end to end of a matter. So start to finish and not only, you know, the tasks and the different phases within Mm. a matter, but also building the project plan and being completely transparent with our clients on where we are within their matter, including pricing of that Mm. matter. Then internally, we also have a project management office, and that is more geared towards internal projects, getting them across the finish line. Everybody is very busy when you've got cross-functional projects. You need somebody to bring be really the ringleader to get everybody on the same page and yeah. get the projects across the finish line. Wow. And the other, there's no good way of segueing this, but we'll go to it anyway. The other thing that you both mentioned was that you think about the big fours, the, you know, the competitors that maybe weren't taken seriously or didn't exist actually in some ways previously. So what is the, and maybe it doesn't matter so much internationally because I know in, the, in Europe, for example, the big four are considered more of a threat to some of the law firms because they actually have legal offices. How how are your firms 
I suppose, gearing up to secure more business or continue retaining your clients as you come across, whether it's the big fours or, you know, the smaller online competitors, right? Especially for, I, I would imagine actually from a firm of your size, Meredith, that you would be a threat to medium-sized firms because you guys are more agile if you have your processes in place. Again, these are all assumptions. I don't know. But yeah, well, of course. Of course. <laughs> You're absolutely correct. Um, yeah. no, but, you, know, you guys could probably offer the same quality of work and at a cheaper rate potentially than a mid-sized firm, deliver faster, build that you know, stronger bond with your clients and ongoing relationship. So in some ways, it's quite interesting because, you know, to a mid-sized firm, you're probably a threat. And then you probably have the online businesses that might be a threat. I don't know. I'm not sure if the online businesses are truly a threat to mm. us. Like the legal um, Zoom. Because, the because yeah. our established professionals want the relationship yeah. with their attorney. And there's a lot of white glove treatment at, mm-hmm. at our firm it's, as a result. And I, I think that's going to that's gonna be hard to, they're not going to be able to fall back to the right. to the online and get that same kind of satisfaction. So I, I don't see that so much as a threat for us, but the larger firms, they're, they're, they're a threat for us. I mean, you know, it's, you know, we're all playing in the same... Yeah, Yeah. Um, I mean, it's quite interesting. I was reading an article yesterday, which was talking about AI and what might happen in the future. And I think there was a phrase that said it's more about instead of it's more about augmentation, right? So for and it's it basically suggested for law firms that you have the larger firms have to adopt that some of your work will go away to AI. Mm -hmm. Hopefully, Mm -hmm. the you know, the meaning, not meaningless, but the mindless work mm-hmm. and the easy to automate type of work. But for the boutique firms, which is where you fit in, you know, you should hone in more on that because it is all about, you know, how do you use, how do you leverage the technology to augment that white glove service? And it sounds like that's kind of the case for you. Yeah, it is. And I, but I'll also say that because we're an entertainment firm, it was new to me because mm-hmm. I came from traditional sort of corporate transactional and litigation firms. Well, my other two firms. <laughs> 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 and this was very different for me. So when I came into this firm and I also had to start dealing with their finances, they already do a lot of alternative billing just because of the nature of the business. Sure. And so I then had to take a typical legal <laughs> accounting system and try to, you know, get it to function in a way that I can get meaningful reports out of it as we're doing percentage deals, as yeah. we're doing flat fee deals, as we're doing... And we're a small firm, so we don't have a bit, you know, we don't have one of those super, super sophisticated accounting systems. However, even with the super sophisticated, I think we have enough different types of alternative billing that's already going on. So uh, it would be hard for those systems also. So in one word, I would say, so you guys have the flexibility, right, to work with whatever client that you're getting. Yeah, I think we do have that flexibility. (laughs) What about you? How how do you think about the big fours or any any of those things? Because, yeah, does that that weigh on your mind a bit more? Oh, it does. I mean, that's our competition. One Mm -hmm. of our competitors, I'll say. And so, (laughs) and that's, that is, you know, one of the reasons why we've got an investment in innovation and a focus on that because it's about how do we differentiate ourselves how do we become what's the phrase stickier with our clients but it's really understanding what what do our clients need and not only provide them the great and the legal advisory services that we have for many years but now what else what else can we provide them that's value added over and above that Mm -hmm. to continue to to maintain and and grow that relationship okay and then the last segment that I kind of want to talk about is 
about you guys as sort of women in leadership position within the you know the legal profession, I suppose. And I know that you're on the advisory committee for Women to Know Council. You also spoke about sort of leadership in IT and legal tech in January. And of course, you're both leaders in law firms. So tell me your perspectives as sort of women law firm leaders. What's your general take on it in how things are at the moment, how they might change and, you know, how they may have changed so far? It's a very open question. So anything and everything goes. Yeah, you know, I I think it's a really exciting space to be in. And Mm. one of the reasons why, and I'll I'll speak specifically to Mm. technology. I mean, the growth of women in technology, the interest in technology is growing it's expanding and I see my role as not only within my firm but as a woman in as a woman leader in technology where we can provide women to get into the field any opportunity be it a mentor or training or guide them along I mean that's that's our role we're here to support one another and the exciting thing is that that is it's a field that is growing for women so I mean historically if, you know, I don't know, 15 years ago, the numbers, I, I probably would have been the only female in the room yeah. with a bunch of, you know, I mean, around my colleagues yeah. that are male engineers. And so it's, a, it's an exciting space to be in because it's growing. Yeah. What about you? I agree 100%. I, I will say that my experience has been that as a woman in as a woman in tech versus a woman in leader law leadership, it's mm-hmm. been a lot easier to be a woman in tech. I think that I feel like the men in tech are very open to having women in tech. I right. don't feel like there are any labels. There's no expectations. There's an inequality that I don't actually, I mean, it, we're not there in the, the numbers, but I think it's because Society, I mean, I, I think that it's it's not just because when you get there, you're pushed away. I don't think that's it at all. I think you're embraced. Yeah. I think you're really well respected. So growing up in tech has been actually a great experience. The rest of it's been difficult. Mm. And it's been difficult with women and with men. And it's outside of tech. Now I'm talking in the general business world. Right. I think that it's it's been harder there. Do you think that's starting to shift a little bit? I, I Probably incrementally? Or is that, would you say if you sort of take a temperature over the last five years, there's not really been that much change in the business world? In the general, no, I will answer. I (laughs) think in the general business world, there hasn't been that much change in the last five years. I think we're bringing women into tech and I think that's awesome. And we're saying it's okay to be there. Don't feel funny because Mm -hmm. there's so many guys there, you know, (laughs) you're, you're, you know, so be comfortable there. And once you get them over that threshold, I think they are embraced. I really, truly do. So I think there we've made way more strides. I have two STEM girls and my son is a musician. So there you go. (laughs) So I just think once you get the women over that tech threshold, they're there and they're going to And do you think what it takes to get women over that threshold, actually anyone for that matter, and I think you touched on Andrea, is around mentorship. Do you think Mm -hmm. that makes a big difference? Is that something that would help encourage them? Absolutely. I think if you've got an opportunity to mentor and to just even have, you know, sit down meetings or go for coffee or just Mm -hmm. let them know that you're there as a sounding board, it helps. It definitely does. I mean, I'm I'm a huge favorite. 
have my first official mentor in the past. I think I, I've had mentors, but they didn't know they were a mentor to me, <laughs> yeah. right? Like an absentee mentor, but I've had a, an, a mentor for the last couple of months and it's been amazing actually, just because they can be sounding boards, they can give you a bit more hope into the direction you might want to go to or sort of ask you the difficult questions in some ways. Yeah, um, yeah. So is that some, I mean, from, and I know you have a, I can call it a meetup. I don't know if that's the right word for it. Yeah, it's a women and women leaders and networking group. Okay. Mm -hmm. So I don't know if you want to talk about that a little bit, actually. You started that nine months ago. Yeah. Uh, No, I would love to talk about it. it. I'm really excited about it. When I first joined the firm and asked around if there was just a women's networking group, I didn't really find one that was that was all about, you know, sharing stories and challenges. I mean, there are other networking groups that are women focused, but they all seem to have some sort of agenda. So along the along the way, I've met some incredible women leaders and started a group. And so would offer anybody to join us and it's growing and it's really, it's, it's exciting. It's not specific just to law firms and it's not specific to C levels either. So it's all levels. And, you know, the one thing I will say that it's just, it's been really fun to observe the relationships that have been formed and you start to, I mean, people are sharing some incredible stories. We're getting to know each other outside of work. That is, it's a really exciting space and growing each other and supporting each other uh, is what's happening. There are mentorships being developed and also soon we'll be getting into how we can help and partner with either other law schools, so women just getting into the legal field, mm-hmm. as well as women starting businesses. So. Oh, that's amazing. And I, I know my wife has been to a, these once or twice, I think. And every time she's... You have And I'm going to participate here. more. Oh, yeah, every time she's come back, she's been singing praises of it. And I know she's actually developed a very strong network as part of that, not just in legal, but outside of that as well. So yeah. if people wanted to find out more about that, what's the best way? Probably to send me a LinkedIn message. Perfect. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, we don't I'll... have a website yet, but we will. We're working <laughs> okay, on all those details. Fair so. enough. Yeah. So yeah, I'll, I'll include your LinkedIn details in as part of this. So just in wrapping up, I actually had one question on this one. I'm talking about anything else, <laughs> which is how do you see either your roles or similar roles changing over? Oh, let's pick a time frame. So maybe 12 months to five years and anything in that range. How do you think that's going to be impacted? And, you know, I would, from CIO perspective, I think there's already, I hear, mm-hmm. you know, the dual nature of that role, innovation and information and then security as yeah. well thrown in there. Yeah. Uh, yeah. What do you guys think? It's really all about being a business leader. It's transitioning from that historical IT leader and behind the scenes in mm-hmm. your data center to you have to be out and forward facing. And I mean, you've got you need an incredible team to still, you know, keep the lights running, so to speak, from an IT standpoint. But it is really about transforming into a business leader and understanding how to how to grow revenue for your firm and meet your clients' needs. That's how I see it. I totally agree with that. And I am very excited to be in the position I'm in in my firm because I feel like I can touch upon a number of those points and have some impact, which is very exciting. I mean, it's nice to sit down at the table with the partners and they listen and they consider and we have a discussion and they're thinking about their law firm as a business and how to keep their clients happy. And it, and that's really important to them, really, really important to them. So I like having that seat. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. Perfect. Well, thank you very much, both of you. It's been a pleasure in wrapping up other than your LinkedIn details, which I'm happy to post along with this episode when it goes live. Is there any other ask you might have about the audience or is there any other way they should get in touch with you? No, that's, that's all good. That's why. Perfect. Yeah. Thank yeah. you so much. All right, thank, thank you. you. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Fringe Legal Podcast. Before you go, I have a huge favor to ask you. If you enjoyed the show, please consider leaving a review on iTunes. It'll take less than a minute and really helps others find the podcast. Meanwhile, you can find the show notes and resources from the episode on our website at podcast.fringelegal.com. That's podcast.fringelegal.com. See you next time.